Sunni is the goddess of love and passion. She and the Sunnite faith look to create and protect beauty throughout Faerun. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. To start, I'd just like to go over the pronunciation of the goddess's name. I would not be surprised that most of you call this goddess Soon. Having read books from 2nd edition and 3rd edition, these books state that you pronounce the goddess's name Suni. However, when reading the system agnostic title, Ed Greenwood Presents Elminster's Guide to the Forgotten Realms, this book states that both the pronunciation Soon and Sune are acceptable. The later pronunciation being a more recent development in setting. I come to just shrug my shoulders and say just carry on with however you're pronouncing Sunni's name at this point. I'm going to default what the 2nd edition and 3rd edition books say. Titles Sunni goes by the following titles. Firehair, Lady Firehair, The Lady of Love, and the Princess of Passion. Some may call her Sunni Firehair by invoking her name and combining it with her most common title. Sunni has no known aliases. Portfolio and Domains Sunni holds the portfolios of beauty, love, and passion. Her suggested domains for 5th edition are Life and Light. Appearance and Manifestations Sunni is stated to be the fairest and most beautiful goddess. Some of her titles refer to her fiery hair is one of, if not, her most defining feature. It is said to be impossible for almost anyone not to want to look at Sunni upon first seeing her. Her favorite weapon is stated to be a silken sash, one which functions mechanically like a whip. If Sunni has named this sash, it is not stated in any of the books I've read. In 3rd edition mechanical terms, it is a plus 5 weapon with a chaotic, defending, keen, and shock properties. An avatar of Sunni looks much like she does. A human woman of godly beauty dressed in a thin silk gown. Her red hair seems longer than humanly possible, shifting to appear as flames at times. Such avatars do not have consistent eye or skin color. Rather, her appearance reflects the many different human ancestries across Faerun. Sunni has three known manifestations. A gentle phantom kiss or caress, accompanied by a soft crooning sound. Only Sunni and her devoted followers are capable of emitting this unique crooning sound. This sound can be heard in Sunite temples across Faerun. The second manifestation is an unseen surge or aura in an area to excite and brighten the mood of those around this phenomena. This manifestation also elicits a stronger sense of smell, taste, and touch. The third and final manifestation is a person under the special favor of Sunni, a light with a visible red, pink, and white aura. When this aura leaves the person it surrounds, they immediately benefit from the heal spell. This aura is most often granted to Sunnis devout in a specific moment, one of Sunni's champions, or those on a given task from Sunni herself. 
The goddess makes use of the following creatures to communicate her approval, disapproval, or aid her mortal followers. Fire doves, which might be known as red doves, chestnut horses, satyrs, sylphs, nymphs, and dryads. Suni can also manifest items on the prime material to reward her mortal followers. Flame or red poppies, rubies, and roses or rose petals with a strong preference for deep red roses. One of the greatest physical boons Suni can present is a draft of Evergold. We will talk about where and what Evergold is in a little bit. In the meantime, this holy water is said to temporarily raise a person's charisma by 2d4 points for a 24-hour period. The draft also functions as a filter of love upon the first person to view the imbiber. Abilities Suni is listed as a greater power in 1st edition to 4th edition sources. Undoubtedly, in 5th edition she is also a greater deity in its unique divine hierarchy. The goddess herself has a 3rd edition stat block in Face and Pantheons. I'm only going to highlight some of the key abilities mentioned in the stat block. As a greater goddess, Suni is granted the best possible result on any dice she rolls. She has divine senses that allow her to see, touch, hear, and smell out to a distance of 16 miles, which is approximately 26 kilometers. These senses are able to extend out from any of her worshippers, holy sites in her name, objects related to her, or any location where her name or one of her titles has been spoken in the last hour. What's more, Suni can split her attention, extending these senses out to a maximum of 20 places at once. The goddess is capable of blocking the divine senses of those of her deific rank or lower at up to two remote locations for 16 hours maximum. Suni has a portfolio sense that allows her to sense the destruction or creation of any beautiful creature or object 16 10 days or 160 days before it happens during the event, and she then can recall the sensation of this creation or destruction 16 10 days afterwards. Suni is able to create any magic item that affects the individual's looks and or emotions. Suni has a second edition avatar stat block in face and avatars and a 3rd edition stat block for her avatars in Face and Pantheons. I will refer to the 2nd edition stat block since it features more abilities. An avatar of Suni can cast spells from any magic school or sphere, though these avatars have a specialty for charm and enchantment. Such spells are cast at quadruple, or 4 times their strength. Those who must save against such spells and effects have a negative 4 penalty to their saving throws. Should the avatar remove her clothing, the sheer beauty of her revealed form has the potential to kill if she so desires. Those attempting to save against this effect suffer a negative 4 penalty against death magic. Creatures within 90 feet also must save against paralyzation as they behold Suni's avatar and become potentially enraptured. The avatar cannot be harmed by any beast. A male creature is incapable of even conjuring a thought to harm the avatar. That last feature is likely written from a perspective of a strict heterosexual dynamic. I would encourage you to change it to reflect realistic sexual dynamics. Personal history. Over on Twitter, 
Ed Greenwood has answered a question about how long Sunni has been worshipped as a goddess. Ed says that at the height of Netherol, Sunni was a cult figure worshipped by the Netherese working class. Silune at the time held the portfolio of beauty in the Netherese pantheon. Instead, Sunni was seen as a figure who held the portfolio of the sensual. I imagine after the collapse of the Netherol Empire and the diaspora of the Netherese people across Faerun, Sunni's faith and thus Sunni's power, accordingly grew. As mentioned before in the first edition realms of 1357 Dale Reckoning and onwards, Sunni has been known as a greater goddess. Prior to the time of Troubles, Bast, the Malharandi goddess of hedonism and fest halls, began to dabble more into darker elements. This garnered the attention of Shar, who began to draw Bast further and further down this path. The two goddesses became so intertwined that the two became known as the Maidens of the Forbidden Fruit. It eventually came to be that Bast was seen simply as another aspect of Shar. Thus, she would be known as Shares. Shares's clergy began to fade in number as Shares herself fell deeper into gloom and despair due to Shar's influence. During the Time of Troubles in 1358 Dale Reckoning, the deities fell down from the plains to the surface of Faerun. Shares would inhabit the form of the favorite concubine of the Pasha of Kalimport. Shar arrived in Kalimport with the intent to slay Shares and steal Shares's portfolio for her own, having killed Ibrandul earlier. However, Sunni would find Shares during this time and free Shares from Shar's influence. Sunni bore a chalice filled with the waters of the Evergold. Sunni poured this water over Shares. Thanks to this powerful water, Shares was able to shake off Shar's influence. Shares would go on to join Sunni in the Outer Plains and become an ally. Following the Time of Troubles, but before the start of the 3rd edition era of the realms, I imagine likely between 1367 to 1371 Dale Reckoning, the actions of a certain watered Havian caused an evil being to be freed. This noble from the Wands family went by the alias of Marco Volo. He stole an artifact known as the Dragon King's Eye, which was the prison of a powerful aberrant creature known as the Dragon King. Marco hid the Dragon King's Eye in the Spiderhaunt Woods, where the artifact managed to form a fortress around itself. Marco and an unnamed adventuring group reached the eye and completed a ritual. This ritual teleported the group to another plane where they came face to face with the Dragon King. Coralon Lorethian, Sunni, and Tyr would arrive to seal the Dragon King back into this artifact prison. It is stated in a Polyhedron magazine article that at one time Sunni's avatar did battle with the archdevil Glacia. They fought in Raven's Bluff, destroying the local Sunite temple there. I don't know what year that is in the realms. The article does not state when this occurred. The article it is written in the 3rd edition era of the realms, so I have to guess this was in the 1370s or early 1380s, sometime before the start of the Spell Plague. I think that this event may be described in some detail in some RPGA module, but I don't have access to said modules. And I have no experience in the RPGA, so I cannot say anything further. In 1384 Dale Reckoning, 
Siamorf and Tyr had an argument and a subsequent falling out. Siamorf moved her divine realm to Sunni's resident plane of Brightwater. With an imbalance across the cosmos, Sunni suggested a marriage between Tyr and Timora. Helm was then tasked by Tyr to bring gifts to Timora. Some grave misunderstanding occurred, whereby Tyr was convinced that Helm attempted to steal away Timora from him. Due to both of these gods' lawful nature, Helm and Tyr were bound to fight one another. Tyr unfortunately killed Helm before the two of them could be talked out of this duel. Timora would then leave Brightwater to live with Tyr. It is thought that Siric had a hand in causing this situation, though it was never proven. In 1385 Dale Reckoning, after Mistra is cut down by Siric, the spell plague is set off. The remaining deities are able to keep their respective realms intact as Mistra's plane of Dwemelheart is destroyed. Tyr, Lathander, and Sunni come together to lock away Siric in Siric's realm of the Supreme Throne for 1,000 years in punishment. During the 4th edition era of the realms, there was a reorganization and reduction in the number of deities across the various pantheons of the realms. Sunni still remained in the same role she has long inhabited in the Faerunian pantheon. The lore changed for this edition, stating that Hanali Selenil of the Elven pantheon had always been an aspect of Sunni's. Now in 5th edition, this change has been reversed, separating the two goddesses once more to go along with the larger reversion back to a larger number of deities and separate pantheons that existed in the 3rd edition realms and before. Personality Aside from 4th edition, Sunni has held an alignment of chaotic good. In 4th edition, Sunni was given an alignment of good, though this has to do more with the different alignment categories in place for 4th edition. Sunni may be whimsical and flirtatious, but she is benevolent and charming. She is said to have several romantic ties to many of the Faerunian deities in myths and legends, save for those whom she dislikes. Sunni can be deeply passionate at times, or simply flirtatious for fun's sake. She enjoys being the center of attention and enjoys the compliments and flattery that is honest. She deeply loves and watches over her worshippers and followers. Sunni deplores ugly and boorish entities and things. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed default model for 5th edition Forgotten Realms, Sunni resides on the chaotic good outer plane of Arborea. Arborea may also be called Olympus, Arvindor, or the Olympian Glades of Arborea. Sunni resides in the shared urban divine realm of Brightwater on the first layer of Arborea, which then might be known as Olympus or Arvindor. As you can see across the editions, this plane has had some name changes, which makes things muddled and confusing though 5th edition refers to this plane as Arborea, and that is the name I will be sticking with. Arborea fosters and enhances emotion. As such, a creature needs to watch their emotions, as this creature can have their emotions become uncontrollable. Nature here is just as wild and grand. The mountains are the tallest mountains. The forests are the tallest, lushest, and most dense. 
Simple breezes can spool up into major gales suddenly. A simple sprinkling of rain can build up to a torrential downpour. Most natural spaces are watched over by a good-natured spirit, but they do not take kindly to trespassers. The spirits, though localized to their respective areas, have deep control over the land they protect and inhabit. These spirits could reverse the flow of rivers or shift landmarks around in their respective forests. Though the vast majority of the plain is covered in untamed wilderness, there are small regions where you can find farmland, orchards, and small settlements. Arborea is bountiful in the crops it can yield, and the animals that can be used for sustenance as well. It is hard to go hungry on this plain. There are two major pantheons who inhabit Arborea. The first is the Seldarine, the Elven Pantheon. Second is the Greek or Olympian Pantheon. Back in the mythic past, it is said that the Seldarine fought and pushed out the giant gods onto Ysgard. Later, the Olympians would do the same to their forefathers, the Titans, as the Titans were pushed down into the prison plain of Carceri. The first layer of Aborea, be it called Olympus or Arvindor, is the resident home of the above-mentioned pantheons. Arvindor and Olympus are separated by wide swaths of untamed and wild wilderness of varying biomes. This first layer has a slight convex shape. Arvindor and Olympus then occupy the two tallest ends of the layer. Brightwater is a shared realm between three goddesses, Suni, Timora, and Lyra. I said earlier in the personal history section that Timora would go on during the 4th edition era to live with Tyr in his plane, but given the change back to how things were previous to 4th edition for 5th edition, I am safely assuming that Timora has returned back to a plane more fitting to her alignment. Brightwater is a sprawling cityscape of beauty, excitement, and pleasure. A good amount of the beauty here is only surface deep, but the buzzing excitement is unescapable. This urban center stands out in stark contrast to the rest of Arborea. Despite Sunni being the stronger power, Timor is said to have been the power who came up with the initial idea to create Brightwater. The city is far enough away from Olympus so as to not bother the Olympians but it is close enough that some of those who prefer Brightwater can sneak off to escape there. The writings for Planescape in 2nd edition mention that Brightwater is said to be only 50 years old, which is damn near being brand new in the grand scope of the plains. Each of the three goddesses have their own respective quarters in the city. Suni's quarter is called the Heartfire Quarter. It is the smallest of the three quarters. This quarter values private affairs rather than raucous and open gatherings held throughout the rest of Brightwater. Around the Heartfire Quarter can be found hidden courtyards, fest halls, matchmaker shops, and inns where lovers can come for private gatherings. Candlelight and burning incense are common sights across Heartfire. This quarter holds portals to the realms of Freya of the Norse Pantheon, Hanali Selenil of the Elven Pantheon, and Aphrodite of the Olympian Pantheon. Sunni resides in the very center of the Heartfire Quarter. The goal of a Sunite petitioner who arrives here is to travel the winding streets of the Heartfire towards the center. 
while the destination is one of the primary goals. Another goal is to tap into something deeper than the simple, physical, and sensual features of love. However, this is a treacherous quest, as the closer a petitioner is said to get to the center, the more likely their whole being comes to be merged with the heartfire itself. What lies deep in the heartfire has yet to be recorded, save the details about Suni holding the Evergold pool in shared possession. The Evergold may be referred to as the Fountain of Youth and Beauty. It is commonly thought that the waters of the Evergold will return people's youthfulness and vitality. However, that is not the case. This pool Suni shares with Shares, Aphrodite, Hanali Selenil, Freya, and other unnamed goddesses of glamour and beauty. When I say Suni shares it, it isn't so much that these other goddesses are traveling to bright water. Rather, the Evergold is shared across their various realms as a phenomena that appears from time to time in a goddess's respective realm. There is a pattern to the Evergold's appearance across Arborea. However, this pattern is known by few. The waters of the Evergold are contained in a crystal basin. The waters within have a gold shimmer to them. To benefit from the waters of the Evergold, someone must bathe in the pool itself. Taking the water from the pool and containing it for later use causes the water to immediately lose its powers. As I mentioned earlier though, Suni is able to bottle it up for later use. In the World Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Suni resides and presides over the plane of bright water. A portal exists between Suni's and Halali Selenil's realm. Rather than a wandering phenomena of the outer planes in the Great Wheel, the Evergold is a fixed feature in this cosmology. It is a shared feature across both Suni's and Hanali's realms. It also doubles as a portal between the two goddesses' realms. Hanali, Suni, and Shares and their faithful partitioners have access to this portal. Brightwater isn't the urban center as it is described in the Great Wheel. Rather, it is an idyllic and comfortable realm of cottages and manors. The plane carries the same aura of excitement, good fun, and beauty, though. Creatures who inhabit Brightwater include those angels in service to the five resident goddesses. Then, there are also the Bakai. Bakai are celestial creatures who are known for their revels and hedonistic behaviors. They have some beast-like qualities that place them halfway between humanoid and satyr. The Bakai on Brightwater are less destructive than some of their counterparts, but by no means less jubilant. The petitioners of Brightwater exist on the cusp of normal humanity and unbridled bestial wants. These hedonists exist in a state of eternal revelry. Much as in the Great Wheel, Suni resides in the Heartfire Quarter of Brightwater. The qualities of the Heartfire are much the same as they are in the Great Wheel. Within the World Axis cosmological model used for 4th edition, Suni resides on the domain known as the Gates of the Moon. This is Salune's domain. While I'm unsure why Salune and Suni do not have their own separate domains in the World Axis, given that they are both greater deities, it is understandable that they would share a domain given their long-standing alliance. I also cannot see Salune and Suni ever making a stink about who is the true power in, the, in this domain either. The Gates of the Moon is a domain composed of floating islands above a silver sea. Here the moon hangs in the sky regardless of the time of day 
appearing with the sun during the day. The moon cycles through its normal phases as it does on the material plane. Solune's realm is a shining silver hull called Argentil. Around Argentil is Sunni's realm called Brightwater. Much as it is in the other planar cosmologies, Brightwater is the same raucous and romantic city. Sunni's exarchs Lyra and Shiras reside in the gates of the moon with her as well. Allies and Allegiances In the Faerunian pantheon, Sunni is the superior of Lyra. Sunni is then allied with Salune, Malil, Lathander, and Shares. Sunni was once Salune's superior for a good number of centuries, but Salune has since gone off on her own after the Time of Troubles. As mentioned before, Shares was rescued by Sunni from the machinations and evil influence of Shar. Shares shares the sacred water of Evergold with Sunni. Shares is a degree even more hedonistic than Sunni. This behavior draws counsel from Sunni, who has her concerns. Sunni doesn't overtly support Mistra. Rather, she keeps things clandestine, providing for Mistra while Mistra battles Shar. Though this was stated back in 3rd edition, when Shar and Mistra were more clear enemies prior to the spell plague, as Shar made inroads in an attempt to usurp the weave for her own. I find it strange that Taimora and Sunni are not listed as allies, since they live so closely in shared divine realms. I don't think for a second, though, that these two are not friends at the very least. Outside the Faerunian pantheon, Sunni is allied with the elven goddess of beauty and love, Hanali Selenil, Corallon Lorethian, patron god of the elves, and Ongarath, triune goddess specific to the moon elves. Hanali and Sunni have a playful but passionate rivalry espousing whether human or elven beauty is most fair. As I have mentioned before, they share the sacred waters of Evergold. Sunni is also allied with Sorolali, halfling goddess of home and friendship. Enemies Sunni doesn't have any foes who return their hatred in her direction. Rather, Sunni has those whom she just strongly dislikes. All four gods of fury, Talos, Auril, Malar, and Umberly. And outside those four, Talona and Tempest. All these deities are renowned for holding portfolios that result in the destruction of beautiful things throughout the realms. Umberly envies Sunni's beauty. Tempest has no hate for Sunni. Tempest just thinks Sunni's feelings are irrelevant and not worth his concern. Shar's attention has become fixed on Sunni after Sunni stole Shares away from Shar. Shara did not like her corruption and conquest of Shares being denied with Sunni's intervention. Though, in any books I've read, Sunni is not listed as one of Shar's primary enemies. Symbols In the Faerunian pantheon, Sunites bear this primary and popular symbol, the ivory-skinned, red-haired face of Sunni herself. From there, Sunni has a couple lesser-known symbols. The first is a winking eye. This eye is usually found on doorways as an animated illusion. Second is a pair of parted lips, golden color, with a red tongue seductively just touching the upper lip. Central Dogma From Face and Pantheons, a 3rd edition supplement. Quote, Beauty is more than skin deep. 
It issues from the core of one's being and reveals one's true face to the world, fair or foul. Believe in romance, as true love will win over all. Follow your heart to your true destination. Love none more than yourself except Sunni, and lose yourself in the love of the Lady Firehair. Perform a loving act each day, and seek to awaken love in others. Respond to love at least once a day. Encourage beauty wherever you find it. Acquire beautiful items of all sorts, and encourage, sponsor, and protect those who create them. Keep your own body as comely as possible, and as attractively displayed as situations warrant. Let hairstyle and clothing best suit your personal appearance, striving to stir and delight others who look upon you. Moreover, hide not away, but always seek to present yourself to those around you in a pleasing variety of garbs and activities so as to move them with love and desire. Love those who respond to your appearance, and let warm friendship and admiration flower where love cannot or dares not. End quote. Presence of the Faith Sunni's worship is most often found among lovers, artists, adventurers, and half-elves. Many half-elves favor Sunni out of reverence for the love that brought their parents of different ancestry together. Her clerics tend to hold an alignment of chaotic good, chaotic neutral, and neutral good. In 3rd edition, it is explicitly stated that Sunni's paladins are lawful good. Though with the loosening on alignment restriction for paladins in 5th edition, I imagine it is likely there is a more diverse alignment spectrum across her paladin orders. The Sunite faith is well-liked and widespread in Faerun. Quite a bit of this positivity is due to revels and parties held by Sunites. Still, many think Sunites to be flighty and vain individuals, but ultimately a harmless group. The faith is most popular in urban areas and within the nobility. The pleasures of life are not sought out by Sunnis the devout for the pure sensual gratification. Rather, it is through such gratification that the worshipper is almost interacting with or feeling the touch of Sunni herself. Many artists cite Sunni as their muse, her beauty alone being the inspiration for many artistic pieces across the realms. The adherents of Sunni have a deep-seated rivalry with the elven goddess Hanali Selenil, who holds many of the same areas of concern and portfolios as Sunni. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy Members of the Sunite clergy are referred to as heart warders or heart guides. First stated, the ratio of women to men in the Sunite faith in the second edition era was 8 to 1. In the third edition era, it is said that the gender disparity in the Sunite faith began to reduce with a greater influx of male adherents. In that era, at least, there were four times as many female members to male members. This ratio would change once more to eight females for every male member. Though I think this increase occurred in 4th edition, after the merging of the face of Hanali Selenil and Sunni together. With these two goddesses separate once more, I imagine the faith is back at its one man for every four women ratio. The hierarchical structure of the Sunite faith is rather loose. Leadership can change often. Clergy also do not take issue with those of any rank who leave their positions to chase after something or someone beautiful. 
More often than not, those who are most attractive and or charismatic make it into leadership positions in the clergy. According to Elminster's Guide to the Forgotten Realms, Sunites refer to upper clergy as heart wardens. Those at the highest echelons are known as heart warders, which admittedly conflicts with the use of the term heart warder in other books, but such is the case often with this system-neutral book. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful Sponsorship of artisans and performers is heavily practiced and encouraged in the Sunite clergy. Such people create and manifest beautiful works of art which further Sunni's portfolios. Many Sunnites are also performers and artists themselves. The clergy are required to teach artistic skill to those who approach them with honest intent and potential. Any money gained through instruction is to then be put into the coffers of the local place of worship. Sunnites' faith may sponsor far-traveling merchants who trade in luxurious items, aiding in the greater sharing of pleasure across the continent. Many Sunnites are involved directly or or indirectly in business that deal with fashion, cosmetics, jewelry, and or etiquette training. Sunnites also purchase works of beautiful art consistently, as long as their funds afford. Sunnite clergy deplore and cut down those who actively go out of their way to destroy or vandalize the beautiful things and people in the world. They often hire adventurers to carry out such quests as well. If a Sunnite needs to carry out a grimier task than they otherwise would like to engage in, they typically adopt a disguise. This disguise serves two purposes. One, to conceal the identity, while keeping the physical body as clean as possible. Sunni has watched how Timor's support of adventurers has led to good and great things for the Timoran faith. Sunni thus encourages her clergy to reach out to adventurers who quest to find lost and beautiful things and people in the wider world. An important aspect of Sunnite clerical training is learning proper comportment and bearing, fashion, and the use of cosmetics. Their teachings are not centered on vanity alone. As it has been emphasized before, true beauty is one, if not their primary pursuits. Their romantic calling in life is to behave in such a way so that their true beauty shines forth. It must be said that in one source that if a Sunnite is injured or marred in such a way to diminish their physical beauty to such an extent, they may be asked to leave the clergy. This is done if no mundane or magical means are available to revert the person back to their previous appearance. Sunnites are encouraged to foster friendship and, when warranted, romantic inclinations between their fellow Faroonians. Sunnites have a penchant for helping the lonely and isolated most in need of friendship. They are to assist anyone who is looking for advice and lessons on aesthetics and personal care. Sunnite places of worship provide room and board for elderly members and maimed members of the faith. The faith is also charged with the upkeep of these members' graves, which may exist out in remote or inner-city monasteries, commonly called Golden Rest Monasteries. Orders and Priestly Bodies Sunnite orders seem to come and go as they follow the continual change in leadership found throughout the Sunnite faith. Some orders are created to honor and title specific artists in their respective fields. The Sisters and Brothers of the Ruby Rose are described as an order of bards, paladins, and fighters who guard Sunnite places of worship and holy sites, pursue quests of interest to the faith, 
and do good works to further promote Sunni in the realm. A candidate to this order is required to stand vigil for one night. During that night, if Sunni appears in a vision or she sends some mark of her favor, the individual is then admitted into the order. Members of this order are known to write essays and songs of love. Often they choose a muse who serves as their inspiration. They state that their power is drawn from such inspiration. Estetes are a branch of the Sunite faith who are specialists in healing, disfigurements, removing scars, and other blemishes, all in the name of promoting physical beauty. They usually are prime examples of physical beauty themselves. Silk Whispers are specialists as well. Their specialty is matchmaking, etiquette, and seduction. In the last capacity, Silk Whispers can serve as astute spies or negotiators. While charming and seductive, Silk Whispers are trained and practiced in not overextending themselves, often knowing which buttons to press, but not going too far. They are trained in insight and deduction, while gifted with an innate charm person spell they can use once per day. The Fellowship of the Purple were attempting to establish a theocracy in the wildlands to the north of Termish at last recording in 1372 Dale Reckoning. The fellowship was formed in 1368 by a small group of clerics to Shantia, Helm, and Salune. As more like-minded individuals from Sunnis and Lathander's faith came together, small settlements were built up by 1372. These three settlements were hamlets based around their own respective temple farm. The fellowship believed that they are following the dictates of the respective deities to establish a holy nation. Often adventurers are hired by the fellowship to help them deal with threats from the outside. The Order of the Sun Soul is primarily a monk order devoted to Lathander, though a smaller amount of Sun Soul groups are devoted to Salune or Sunni. Their monasteries are typically found in remote areas of the world. The order's bond with the Lathanderite faith is far stronger. At times, the order has assisted the other two associated faiths as well. This order's history stretches all the way back to the time of Nethril, when the order was once known as the Order of the Sun. Then its patron deity was solely a monitor. Upon a monitor's disappearance, the different monasteries in the order chose one of the three deities to become their new patron. Surprisingly, with Amonitor's re-emergence, the Sansol monks have not wavered in their dedication to their three deities. Appearance and Dress The ceremonial dress of Sunite clergy is a monastic crimson red robe for men and a habit the same color for women. These garments are tailored in such a way to show off and accentuate the figure of the wearer. Hair is usually grown long by all, and can fall free during rituals without reprisal. Clergy may bind back their hair with red scarves at other times when the situation calls for it. Red hair is considered a blessing by Sunites as they are, quote, touched by Lady Fire Hair. But ultimately all hair is appreciated so long as is well kept and tended to. When at social functions, Sunites may paint the lips of Sunni upon either their midriff or shoulder, then wear clothing that allows the symbol to be exposed and seen. When adventuring, Sunites prefer to wear the best armor they can afford and that they are proficient with, including magic protection. Such armor that can better deflect and absorb blows 
and strikes are favored. This armor helps to prevent injuries and scars that would affect a person's physical appearance. Armor is also chosen for its aesthetics, and Sunites will do their best to enhance the appearance of this armor. Aesthetics wear clothing that is of the latest fashion and style. Such clothing is cut in such a way to accentuate and highlight all aspects of the body. They carry a red velvet cloak for comfort and for times when modesty may be called for. Silk whispers wear clothing not just to attract the eye, but also to hold and captivate people's attentions. Feminine members favor sheer, smooth gowns that show off the figure. Masculine members prefer kilts and loose billowing shirts, if they choose to wear a shirt at all. Long red velvet cloaks and hoods are used for comfort and modesty if it is called for. These cloaks are reversible and feature a black lining on the inside if the situation calls for a clandestine approach. Rituals Sunite clergy pray and meditate on their spells in the morning. Ideally, this is done after a scented bath. If such an amenity is not available, washing hands is considered enough. Other personal prayer is typically given to Sunni while standing in a bath or pool, adorned in beautiful garments, and looking at one's reflection in a mirror by candlelight or natural light. Sunni may offer guidance to her faithful during these prayers by changing the reflection in some way. The night-long candle vigil follows the same form, but is much longer in duration. The candle vigil is often carried out for guidance, atonement, or to gain entry into the Sunite faith. Midsummer night, which might also be called the long night, and green grass are both regarded as holy days of the Sunite faith. Midsummer is the festival day that lands in between the months of Flame Rule and Elysis. Greengrass is the festival day that falls in between the months of Tarsac and Myrtle. Greengrass welcomes the first day of spring. Both festival events are spent by Sunites frolicking and flirtatiously chasing around one another at night. Each month, Sunites hold a grand revel. These parties include dancing, poetry recitals, and soulful and beautiful music. Outsiders to the faith are invited with the hopes of bringing in even more converts. Certain beautiful pieces of art and magic items are put on exhibit as well. Grand revels last from the time the sun sets to the time that the sun comes up the following day. A feast of love is a more intimate event to be held only for Sunites once every ten day. Here the Sunites lie about indulging in finger foods and alcohol, while beautiful people perform dances and minstrels perform love songs and prose. More often than not, Sunites break off to their own private rooms. Specific to Waterdeep is the Grand Revel held on the 14th of Alturiac. The clergy of Sunni, Lyra, and Shares lead this event. During this day, all sorts of dancing, cavorting, and the eating of sweets takes place. Large ring dances are a favorite on this day. At day's end, minstrels perform for families at their respective love feasts. Couples will often break off and slip away to exchange promises, often accompanied with rings or other gifts of affection blessed by clergy. The General Characteristics of Places of Worship Sunite temples and shrines are some of the most beautiful places of worship on Faerun. 
The paths and promenades at such places are adorned with beautiful objects. Nooks are built into these places of worship to allow people to duck in for private activities. Several temples have gardens that contain gorgeous flowers, trailing and hanging vines, pruned topiaries, and trees. Sculptures and fountains are magically lit with soft lighting across these temple grounds. Sunite places of worship usually house public baths, spas, and salons that are open to the public. Sunite shrines found usually in rural settlements typically consist of a mirror hung underneath a roof. Near the mirror may be a cupboard or shelf that holds perfumes and cosmetics that are available for public use. Specific Places of Worship The Order of the Sun Soul has a monastery within the confines of Waterdeep. This is primarily because Sunni, Lathander, and Salune have temples and thus a strong presence in the city. Another Order of the Sun Soul monastery can be found in the Dunhills out in Tasseldale. The Temple of Beauty is a Sunite temple complex in Waterdeep. According to a tweet from Ed Greenwood, this temple has spell services at cost for regrowing, styling, and tinting hair. This complex has slender, elegant towers that taper as they reach up into the sky. Orbiting these towers are drift globes that give off continuous soft light. Different drift globes move around the hallways providing interior light. The salons and public baths are open from sunup to sundown for free. Donations are encouraged, however. The chambers of this temple are considered neutral ground for Watertavian noble families who otherwise are hostile or unfriendly with one another. Not only that, it is a safe environment if they wish to further a romance. The halls of the temple are a popular site for even non-Sunites, though they are required to make a rich offering to gain entry. Also in Waterdeep is Mother Tathorn's House of Pleasure and Healing. On staff here are several Sunite clergy. They heal all sorts of ailments and injuries in exchange for offerings in Sunni's name. This location is found in the Castle Ward of Waterdeep. The largest temple to Sunni was said to be under construction during the second edition era of the realms in Esmilteran. How that temple may stand now in the realms is really up to you, given that nothing past second edition is ever stated to my knowledge. The Golden Maidens, as of its description in second edition, is a fest hall in Calimport that is over 400 years old. It is said that at one time during the midwinter revels, the avatars of Shares, Hanali Selenil, Sunni, and Lyra all visited this fest hall. The book this is described in does not specify when this was. I have to assume it followed the time of troubles. I say this because Shares would not have accompanied these specific goddesses otherwise given her alliance with Shar prior to the time of troubles. After their visit, the name of the fest hall was changed to that of the Golden Maidens in honor of the visit. No faith of these four goddesses has ever backed up this story but this has done nothing to diminish this festival's popularity. While Mithdranor stood at its height, a temple to Sunni could be found in the Dlarbradath sector of the city. This temple was called the Lover's Glade and was seen as an unofficial shrine to Hanali Selvanil as well. Housed in a wooded glade was a raised pool surrounded by cracked stone steps. 
this open-air temple was warded to keep predators of both bestial and humanoid intelligence from entering. It was lit by constant dancing lights and fairy fire spells. The water here was safe to drink, but some sort of guardian resided in the water. The guardian protected the offerings of gems and magical items that lied 90 feet deep down at the bottom of this pool. The Theater of Joy in Krimor is a shared temple for followers of Malil, Sunni, and Lyra. Once a former amphitheater from the days of the Shun Empire, the clergy here have converted it into an informal temple. Reliquaries for each of the three faiths can be found in behind the amphitheater in the actor's outbuilding. Sunni is worshipped from dawn until noon. Sorlin put on performances from noon to dusk, and the Joybringers of Lyra use the theater all throughout the night. Shared services are sometimes held for each of the three deities, and a large party is held on the temple grounds. The Dawn Dancer House is a Sunite shrine in Silvery Moon. This shrine is surrounded by its gorgeous stained glass. The eastern portion of the stained glass behind the altar displays Sunni's symbol. This glass symbol glows when the local clergy sing and praise. Near the village of Drawn Swords is a popular pilgrimage site for Sunites called the Flamestone. It stands in a grassy glade right on the eastern edge of North Dark Wood, which might also be known as the Reaching Woods. This stone is huge, standing upright, and it is as tall as two adult human males. On certain midsummer nights, if Sunni wills it, the stone glows an orange-red color. From a distance, people say it is reminiscent of seeing a tongue of flame out in the midst of night. A Sunite who touches the glowing stone is said to heal them of any disease, curse, wound, and whatever else may ail them. Good luck is said to be given to those who kiss and or feast in front of the stone. As a result, many Sunites hold nighttime revels here. Local hire swords from the area are hired out to be stag warriors. Stag warriors wear a specific uniform with helmets adorned with antlers. Their job is to protect those who hold the revels here from any local creatures who wish to attack. The House of Firehair is a Sunite temple complex in the center of Darloon that sits atop a hill. The temple is older than the city, serving as the fixture to which the rest of Darloon was built around. The complex is surrounded by large walls and encloses an expansive garden that covers the grounds. These walls were built originally to defend from the threat of orc bands long ago. Within the garden can be found pruned trees, bowers, winding paths, fountains, and glades. The entire garden is used for Sunite revels. One of the locations of the garden is Brightwater Pool. This large pool holds clear, clean water. While the water is non-magical, the resident Sunites feel as if the water has come from the Everglade itself. Three mermaids who are Sunite clerics reside in the water. In the center of the garden is the temple proper. Stone gazebos serve as the entryways into this temple. The chambers within are luxurious and tall. Each of the buildings of the complex are linked by flying stone bridges. These bridges are draped with creeping vines and plants. Their walkways are also enchanted to remain comfortable during the winter months. One of the central buildings is a series of three cylindrical towers that meet to form 
Firehair Cathedral. The roof of this building is made of orange and red glass. Inside concentric pews surround a podium that is shaped like a hand lying flat, palm up. The towers hold balconies that overlook the central chamber where choirs and minstrels can sing. The Hall of Beauty is another building in this complex. This two-story building contains all sorts of beautiful works of art. A good number of the pieces feature Sunni and the other goddesses that reside with her in Brightwater, Timora, Lyra, and Charesse. Some are in the museum simply because they are wonderful and beautiful pieces. The Hall of Beauty is a favorite evening spot where patrons can delight in the works while eating finger foods and listening to music. A sizable donation is expected to the House of Firehair in payment. The Hall of Passion is a three-story building where the junior members of the clergy reside. Smaller chambers are attached to the outside of the building where visitors can stay. These chambers allow for easy access to the temple gardens. The Radiant Tower is four stories tall, and it is here that the senior clergy members reside. The leading clergy members have their own apartments at the top. The Artisan's Quarters is its own separate building, whereas the name suggests artisans of all types reside. Beneath the tower is the Undercroft, where deceased Sunites are interred in sculpted sarcophagi that are carved to resemble the individual in a beautiful state. More features and details of the House of Firehair are given in 3rd edition's Powers of Faerun, including a map of the temple grounds. The Palace of Passion is a Sunite temple complex in Raven's Bluff. This complex has three buildings, an infirmary, contemplation center, and the living quarters for the resident clergy. Many of the local merchants and nobility are worshippers and petitioners at this temple. The clergy often take in the poorest members of Raven's Bluff to bathe them, feed them, and provide them with comfort. Troublemakers at this temple are shown the door and, if needed, taken down to the local creek, stripped naked, and tossed into the water. The main temple entrance holds three huge crystal chandeliers decked out in marble features. Walkways connecting the different buildings may be used for meetings or rituals. It is a local belief in Raven's Bluff that Sunni will bless those lovers who come to meet on such walkways. The local garden has a fountain with a statue of Sunni at its focal point. The statue pours the fountain's waters into the basin. This temple also runs its own mountain resort two days away from Raven's Bluff. Only those who receive permission from the Palace of Passion are allowed to stay at this resort. The Hartward Plaza in Helmshold derives its name from a former shrine to Sunni that existed on the edge of the marketplace. This shrine was a favorite place for young couples to abscond to during the night. Now it has since been replaced by a Sunnite temple called Hart Ward Hall. In the merchant ward of Port Nyanzaru is the Temple of Sunni. This temple is isolated from the city proper on a rock formation not too far out into the sea. The temple can only be reached by boat or bridge. The roof of the temple seems to float due to mirrors that line the outside walls. The typical Sunite services are available here. The clergy run a public bathhouse in the market ward of the city as well. No entry fee is needed at the bathhouse, and people from all walks of life clean themselves and mingle here. Many do leave a donation, however. 
The Temple of the Restful Lily is the location of a Sunite temple and bathhouse standing in a high forest grove. I will give the heads up that this location is important to one of the small adventures in Candlekeep Mysteries for 5th edition. So before I go on, I will say to skip ahead if you do not want to be spoiled on that small adventure. The founder of the temple received visions from Sunni showing her to the grove with a natural hot spring. Later, the founder came to be tricked by a coven of hags who took the temple as their own place of residence. Now the hags lure unwitting patrons to the temple where they can prey upon insecurities and make those patrons enter into bargains or pacts with them. The tower which served as a place of residence for Sunni clergy now is the residence of the coven. The shrine is now the prison of the founder of this temple. The bathhouse still is public-facing, thus looks much as it did when the founder first built it. The shrine is hidden away with overgrowth. Within there are signs of disrepair, rot, and destruction from a past battle. Named temples to Sunni include the House of Revels in Ordulin, Firehair's House in Selgant, and Firehair Hall in Ryatavin. An unnamed temple to Sunni can be found in Byzantur. An unnamed shrine to Sunni can be found in Yahan. Character Options For 2nd edition, the Heartwarder Specialty Priest can be found in Face and Avatars. The Aesthete and Silk Whisper Priest variants can be found in Warriors and Priests of the Realms. For 3rd edition, the Heart Warder Prestige class can be found in Face and Pantheons. The Sun Soul Monk feet in Ruby Rose Knight's substitution levels for Paladin can be found in Champions of Valor. The Sun Soul Monk Prestige class can be found in City of Splendors. For 4th edition, the Heart Warder Paragon Path, a chosen of Sunni utility power, and a Sunite Channel Divinity feat can all be found in the Forgotten Realms Player's Guide. The following is a breakdown of the features that I think someone deeply involved in Sunni's faith as an acolyte or otherwise could use for a custom background in 5th edition. For your two skill proficiencies, Persuasion and Performance. For language or tool proficiencies, Calligraphers, Supplies, and Painters, Supplies. For your equipment, there's the Acolytes and Entertainers from the Player's Handbook, or the Knight of the Order from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. For your ribbon feature, there's the Shelter of the Faithful, ties to the Acolyte in the Player's Handbook, the Athlete's Echoes of Victory from Mythic Odysseys of Theros, the Entertainers by Popular Demand in the Player's Handbook, and Knight of the Order's Knightly Regard found in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Next is a list of subclasses that I think would be thematically appropriate for an NPC or PC to have if they are a worshipper of Sunni. For the Bard, there's the College of Glamour, though I would make a point to narratively change and remove the Fey presence and insert a more Sunite presence into that subclass. The College of Glamour can be found in Xanthar's Guide to Everything. Then there's the College of Valor in the Player's Handbook. For the Cleric, there's the Life and Light Domain found in the Player's Handbook. For the Fighter, there's the Champion in the Player's Handbook and Cavalier from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. 
for the monk. There's the Way of the Sun Soul Monk in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Paladin, there's the Oath of Devotion in the Player's Handbook and Oath of Glory in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I also believe it's in Mythic Odysseys of Theros. For the Rogue, there's the Swashbuckler in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Warlock, there's the Celestial Patron Warlock in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. And then for Wizard, there's the School of Enchantment from the Player's Handbook. Dungeon Master Options First, I'd just like to touch on some non-humanoid creatures that are available to us in official 5th edition sources that would be used by Suni or her followers. From the Monster Manual, there's the Dryad, Satyr, Riding Horse, and War Horse. Then from Mythic Odysseys of Theros, there's the Satyr Reveler and Satyr Thornbearer. There are a couple monsters mentioned earlier in the podcast that are associated with Suni that as of yet, do not have official 5th edition stat blocks. Sylphs are small-sized elementals who look like beautiful women with translucent insect-like wings. They are native to the plane of air. They like to travel to the prime material to enjoy the scenery. They are cautious beings who turn invisible upon seeing any perceived threat that comes within their vicinity. At the same time, they are a curious sort, hiding away while invisible and observing those who've come close by. A stat block for Sylphs can be found in 3rd edition's Monster Manual 2, 2nd edition's Monstrous Manual, and 1st edition's Monster Manual. Nymphs are fey beings who are guardians of pools and springs. They are alluring with their captivating beauty. These medium-sized creatures have physical dimensions similar to that of an elf. They are mercurial beings. They are strong allies of those who protect and venerate nature, while holding a deep hatred for those whose greed endangers wild spaces. Aside from a nymph's natural enchantments, they are known to summon beasts to fight off intruders. The stat block for nymphs can be found in 4th edition's Monster Manual 3, the 3.5 Monster Manual, 2nd edition Monstrous Manual, and 1st edition's Monster Manual. To round out the section on creatures, the following are just a list of humanoid NPC stat blocks to represent various Sunite worshippers and clergy. Keep in mind with spellcasters, you can always swap out their listed spells for spells that are much more fitting. From the Monster Manual, there's the Acolyte, Priest, and Knight. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Bard, Champion, Enchanter, and Martial Arts Adept. Though keep in mind with these last creatures, They are also found in Monsters of the Multiverse. Let's touch on some magic items. The Kiss of the Goddess is a Sunite artifact. This gem flares with a blue-white light occasionally. The first creature to touch the gem is healed fully and many other ill effects are dispelled on the creature. There is a small chance that when the gem flares, the gem will plane shift itself and whoever may be touching it to Sunni's realm in the Outer Plains. The description and mechanics of this magical gem can be found in 1st edition's Waterdeep in the North. Sunni's sash is an odd magical and divine tome. It takes the form of a sash that is the width of a hand and 5 feet in length. The tassels of silk dangle from both ends. 
Gold stitching borders the sides of the sash. Enchantments on the sash make it heat and fire resistant. Another enchantment causes it to flash with the colors of dancing flames when touched. Any tears or dirt found upon the sash are mended and removed the following day. The sash has felt the touch of Sunni more than once. A devout Sunite may only access the powers of this item. It does take a different method than you might think to activate it. The user must dance upon the sash. Then if either the sweat or tears of the user fall upon the sash, its powers are then accessible. The name of a spell will appear upon the sash in flaming letters that do not damage the sash. The name that appears is determined randomly from the list of spells specific and imbued upon the sash. Should the user's blood touch the sash, a flame strike spell is immediately directed at the individual who drew blood from the user. Though the will of the sash may surround the user with a wall of fire for protection, or even send a meteor swarm spell at multiple foes. Undead who touch the sash are dealt 6d4 plus 4 damage. It is said that the highest Sunite clergy can access even more spells imbued onto the sash. After their dance, a manifestation of the back of Sunni's head is seen upon the sash. Her long red tresses are each labeled with the name of these additional spells. The sash is said to be over 3,000 years old, though the first concrete mention of it is in a chapbook roughly 1,150 years ago. It was last held in the Towers of Passion Monastery in Shondath around 1330 Dale Reckoning when it was thought to be stolen away. Hints and visions have spread across the continent about the current whereabouts of the sash. Specifically, one of the largest hints speaks of a man with white skin, white hair, and white eyes. The mechanics and further lore on Sunni's sash can be found in 2nd edition's Prayers from the Faithful. When Sunni's avatar rests Shares from Shar during the Time of Troubles, some of Sunni's hair fell to the ground as the two made their escape. Groupings of these hair formed into five separate ring braids at the time. Each decade, though, a new ring of fire hair is said to be discovered. Sunites would go on to collect these rings made of their goddess's hair, calling them rings of fire hair. A ring provides a bonus to charisma. NPCs come to be friendlier to the one wearing such a ring. Sunites are the only ones able to successfully benefit from these rings. The mechanics and details of the Ring of Fire Hair can be found in Dragon Issue 333. To round out this section, the following are some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources that I feel the faith of Sunni might have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, Candle of Invocation, Cloak of Protection, Dancing Sword, Eyes of Charming, Flame Tongue, Glamoured Studded Leather, Helm of Brilliance, Gyoktum's Ointment, Manual of Bodily Health, Manual of Gainful Exercise, Mithril Armor, Necklace of Prayer Beads, Pearl of Power, Filter of Love, Potion of Heroism, Potion of Vitality, Robe of Scintillating Colors, Staff of Charming, and Tome of Leadership and Influence. From Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, plus one to plus three Amulet of the Devout. 
Then from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Armor of Gleaming, Cloak of Billowing, Cloak of Many Fashions, Perfume of Bewitching, and Staff of Flowers. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you're interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms Religion. These episodes are uploaded to YouTube as well. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Podcasts. For those who may be interested, there is a link in the episode description to a Discord server I have set up. In the next episode, I will be covering Lyra, the chaotic good goddess of joy and freedom. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Sir Honor Spell by Ian Grimm of tubersongs.com.